Good to see so many of you here this morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Revelations, the 16th chapter, and verses 13 to 16. Revelation 16, verses 13 to 16. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Now the purpose of our study this morning is to discover the real meaning of those frightful words, the battle of Armageddon. And some of you are going to be really surprised at what you are about to hear some of you may be completely upset with all that you have heard before. For in my very exhaustive study of Armageddon, and I have spent days, from both the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, I can tell you without a doubt this morning that Armageddon is not what some of our evangelists have preached in order to be sensational and to draw crowds. Neither does the Bible Armageddon teach that there is to be a war between the East and the West, as some great army commanders have suggested in recent years? And neither does the teaching of Armageddon from the Bible agree with the secret rapture teachings and theories today that are so prevalent. So much now to awaken your thinking. It's time for us to get down to some real Bible facts. Number one, what is the cause for the Battle of Armageddon? Two, where does this battle take place? Three, who are the participants? Four, when did it begin? Five, how will it end? Six, who will win? Now, as we proceed, I trust that you will keep in mind that every war that has ever existed on the face of this earth has had two enemies, and Armageddon is no exception, since the Bible reveals that one army will be completely annihilated when victory is achieved, it is of great importance this morning that we know which side will win. So let's be to begin this morning by determining the cause of Armageddon. In order for a war to exist between two great powers, there must be some problem, there must be some disagreement, some conflict, some goal that is to be achieved. Now follow me closely. Armageddon is a great war between the eternal God the creator of our universe with all of his loyal subjects against the devil, 
with all of his army of followers who have chosen him as their God. Believe it or not, the cause for which these two great powers are fighting is over that question, who is the real God? Is it Christ or is it Satan? Armageddon is in fact a fight to overthrow Jehovah, to dethrone the Lord of the universe. It is a battle to deify the man of sin, the devil himself. And one thing that can be learned about great wars on our planet is that usually a decisive victory involves a series of battles. For instance, when we think of the World War II, there were a number of great battles, each leading to a final battle. And thus we have the Battle of the English Channel, the Battle of Rommel on the desert sands of Africa, the Battle for Leningrad, the Battle of the Bulge, and the Battle of Armageddon is no exception. Before these battles all had to take place, and then came the battle of the victory for Berlin. And so this morning, we will discover that the Battle of Armageddon is composed of seven major battles, and we will take each one, one at a time. Number one, the Battle of Armageddon began in heaven to overthrow God's throne. We're talking about a battle that took place more than 6,000 years ago. Isaiah tells us in the 14th chapter, verses 12 to 14, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And here we decide we have discovered the basic cause of this war. Lucifer was so filled with pride and self-conceit that he attempted to cast Christ from heaven's throne and place himself on the throne of the universe. His plan was to usurp the power of God, and in order to achieve this goal, he promised to change God's law, which is a God of love and of obedience, to a government based on love of self, in which every subject could obey the desires of his own heart. But he hid the fact that all must surrender to his dictatorship. Never understand, underestimate the seriousness of this heavenly coup. It divided heaven into two opposing sides. Christ, the leader of those obedient angels, two-thirds of all the angels of heaven, against Satan, the remaining one-third of all the angels, who chose to obey the devil in an attempt to overthrow God's government. And thus began the first of seven battles which the scripture calls Armageddon. In Revelations 12, 7 to 9, it tells us there was war. I want you to notice that word. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels 
that's Christ, fought against the dragon, that's the devil, and the dragon fought with his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The outcome is very clear. In this first great battle, Christ expelled Satan and all of his followers from heaven itself. But keep this fact in mind. The issue, the cause over which this first battle was fought, is the same over which each succeeding battle is fought. For the devil never changes, and God never changes from his divine principles. The de devil is determined to make himself a god. He would change God's eternal law and enlist every created being in his army by using the same successful methods that he used on the angels in heaven, namely deception, flattery, doubt, and downright lies. This takes us now to battle number two the battle for the Garden of Eden, the battle to capture Adam and Eve. The details are found in Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Who was the serpent? You remember the old serpent called the devil and Satan? And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. And then he went on to tell them that they would be as gods if they would participate in his program, and so they ate of the fruit. Thus we find the fall of Adam and Eve, and it has touched the lives of every one of us here, for it has brought into this world sorrow, pain, sickness, and death. And in capturing our first parents, Satan was able to seize the rulership of this world. He was thus able to make himself the god of this world, which he was not able to do in heaven. He was to be worshipped, he was to be obeyed as the dictator of this planet. This brings us to battle number three, that battle that ended in the flood. It took just a, a short time, maybe just a few weeks, who knows, to conquer Adam and Eve. But the next battle lasted hundreds and hundreds of years, for it involved the millions, if not the billions, as man multiplied on the face of this earth. But Satan was so successful in deploring his counterfeit government that practically every living soul decided for his side. The Bible puts it in these words, Genesis 6:11. the earth was corrupt before God, the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And he said, I will destroy them with the earth. So in the days of the flood, 
when the flood came, there were only eight souls out of the billions. There were only eight that could be found on the face of the earth who would be faithful to God and to obey his commands. But you know something? God never counts success by numbers. Keep that in mind. His kingdom is based strictly on love, on truth, and on obedience. So what does God do with a world that is almost completely dominated by Satan? No problem. It says in the sixth chapter, verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man, and he said, Behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. And so he put an end to it. Now this brings us to the fourth great encounter with the devil. And this time, God begins with a man called Abraham to develop a new people for God. His children were to eventually settle in the land of Palestine. Jerusalem was to become the capital. All earthly kingdoms were to be attracted to this powerful nation to discover its glory, its power, which was based solely on love and obedience. And Satan was very quick to develop his own battle plan. He chose a man by the name of Nimrod, who began the new kingdom of Satan called Babel. And through this man, the followers of Satan determined to disobey God. They would build a tower so high, so mighty, that they thought God could not destroy it. But God dispersed them by confounding their one language into many languages. And with a mighty streak of lightning, he destroyed that tower of Babel. Satan salvaged what he could and took his followers that he could get together over and built the city of Babel, Babylon. You'll notice from Babel to Babylon. He developed this on the banks of the Euphrates River. He patterned this city after the Jerusalem in heaven from which he had been cast out. And Babylon became the center and the seat of Satan's government. These two warring factors had ultra, absolutely different objectives. The Jews, God's people, were to display God's government of love in which God had promised to give his only son as a sacrifice for man's sin and thus bring freedom and everlasting life to all of his obedient subjects. While Satan's kingdom of paganism, located in Babylon, demanded the sacrifice of the sons and the daughters of his subjects to be offered alive to the god of Baal. And they did this in fear to appease the wrath of Satan. In doing this, they would honor and worship the devil as their god. Thus began the great counterfeit of God's truth, for instead of worshiping the S-O-N, the Son of God, who in love would give himself for the human race, Satan instituted the worship of the S-U-N, the Sun God, as his subjects lived in continual fear of death. Of this God speaks in Isaiah 14, verse 16 and 17, 
This is the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof. And then notice these words, and opened not the house of his prisoners. But wonder of wonders, heaven's commander, Jesus Christ himself, came down to this world to meet the devil <clears throat> in a face-to-face -face confrontation. God did not ask his subjects to do what he would not do himself. <clears throat> in this way, he would reveal to the universe the kind of a person Satan was, showing that he was a murderer, that he was a liar, determined to destroy Christ, that he might himself become God, a tyrant. It's all explained in Revelations 12, verse 4 and 5. The dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So Jesus Christ, who could not die, prepared for himself a body that could die, and came to this earth, ruled by Satan, to live as a man and to prove to the universe that man could live without sinning if he would give himself totally to his God. Satan tried every temptation common to man. He was infuriated at his failure to overcome the Son of God. What does he do? He infiltrates the Jewish church, captures its priests and rulers, and demands that the Romans crucify the Son of God. Under satanic pressure, Jesus was nailed to the cross, dying the death that was to be ours, proving to the universe that God, everything that he had said about Satan was true. As you read in John 8:44, you are of your father the devil. He was a murderer, from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Thus by murder, the Son of God, Satan planned to keep Christ in that tomb forever, that he might seize the throne of this earth. But thank God, Jesus arose in victory. In Revelation 1.18 it says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. And he adds in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You see, in dying for you and me, Christ won the right to redeem you and me. He won the right to recapture the ownership of this world. Satan now became bound to this world, never again to leave it and enter heaven's courts. But the battle was far from over. Now began the next great phase, number five of Armageddon. The old Jewish church and the nation were now rejected, for they crucified their Savior. In Matthew 23, as Jesus for the last time on the Mount of Olives looked at that city, he cried, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, 
How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings? But ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. This time, God begins anew with the Gentiles. With the establishment of the Christian era, based once more on the same principles of a changeless God, love, freedom of choice, obedience, and eternal life. This good news went like wildfire. These pagans had been taught to fear a God of revenge, a God that they hated but they were afraid of, and now they could see there was a great difference. I'm fearful that many of us do not realize how the devil had captured the world, even living within individuals. When you read the scripture, you find almost every day as Jesus walked about that he was casting out devils out of people. Of this we read in Desire of Ages how terrible it was. The bodies of human beings, page 36, made for the dwelling place of God became the habitation of demons. The senses, the nerves, the passions, the organs of men were worked by supernatural agencies in the indulgement of the vilest lust. The very stamp of demons was impressed upon the countenances of men. Human faces reflected the expressions of the legions of evil with which they were possessed. There was no hope. They were devil-possessed. And now came the, <clears throat> the great wonderful truth that God was a God of love that he would forgive, that he loved so much that he would die for you. And this gospel spread throughout the whole world in one generation. Satan was stunned. He was amazed. He saw his subjects become converts to the sight of Christ. He saw, like a madman, that he was losing. And so what does he do? He attacks the church with a relentless persecution. The blood of Christians taken by the sword and that of the beast did not prove what he looked for, for it proved only to be the seed for new converts. Satan was so concerned that now he commenced the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind. By failing to win by persecution, he now ordered his pagan subjects to join the Christian church. Thus, through infiltration, he could change the gospel. And the Apostle Paul warned of this danger. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 7, he said, Let no man deceive you, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away, and that man of sin be revealed, the sin of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember not, when I was with you, that I told you these things? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Here we see it gaining ground. But this warning was overlooked by the Christian church, for they were tired of persecution. 
They were amazed at the millions of new converts. The church now was faced with a greater danger than ever before. For now the unconverted converts demanded a compromise of its blood-bought doctrines. Paganism now within the church claimed that man could save himself by works, opening the door to idol worship and to accept Sunday, a day dedicated to the pagan sun god, to take the place of the Holy Sabbath, the seventh day, and set aside that blessed day that God had given. Soon every soon every eternal doctrine of God was compromised to the traditions of paganism. Thus began the papal reign, a religion which God calls Babylon, the same for the devil never changes in Babel and Babylon. Being a mixture of Christianity and paganism, now it plunged the world into what we know in history as the Dark Ages. During this period of time, Satan removed the word of God from all people. But God raised up some mighty men who believed and taught the scriptures. These men, such as John Wycliffe, Huss, Jerome, Luther, and others. Thus began the Protestant Reformation. The Bible was again given to the people, and this brought the papacy to its knees and made it possible for Napoleon to inflict a deadly wound ending the reign of papal power of some 1260 years. But Protestantism failed to finish the work that God had given it to do. It still clinged to many of the traditions of paganism, but God was prepared. He startled the world with a great earthquake in 1755, followed by the darkening of the sun and a moon that looked like blood in 1780, and finally the falling of the stars in 1833. Suddenly, the world was awakened to the news of the soon coming Savior, and thus began the last message of warning to be given by a faithful few who would keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This was the beginning of the three angels' messages of Revelation 14 declaring a judgment is come, that Babylon is fallen, with a warning, do not have anything to do with the mark of the beast, and to call for everyone to get ready for the second coming. Again, Satan became alarmed. Now he sees that he is fighting a remnant church which has the blessings of the Lord Jesus. And what does he do? He enters the church and lulls his people to sleep, while at the same time he is feverishly preparing a world to fight the return of Jesus Christ. Even now he is marshalling the entire world into a new world order, in which once again, with the deadly wound being healed, the papacy once more will control the entire world, making it possible for Satan to rule this world and more, as an angel of light, 
he will deceive the world to think that he is the Christ who has returned. The inhabitants of the entire world will accept him and his rulership, except a faithful few called the remnant. Satan will demand of all of his subjects to prepare for a fight to the finish, the return of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. This brings us to the sixth phase of the Battle of Armageddon, the decisive phase. This is the great battle of the Lord, in which in the midst of the battle, Christ is going to come to make war against Satan and his global united religions. And this has been foretold in Scripture, in which we read that the beast, all of Catholicism, the false prophet, all of apostate Protestantism, the dragon, all of paganism with its spiritualistic power of the new age, all will be joined together against God. But God has his army, a remnant church who will keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Two opposing sides in Review and Herald, May 7, 1901. Two great opposing powers are revealed in this last great battle. On one side stands the creator of heaven and earth. All on his side bear his signet. They are obedient to his commands. On the other side stands the prince of darkness with those who have chosen apostasy and rebellion. And each side will have a distinctive uniform, just as warriors today as they go to war. The revealing of the seal of God, of the Almighty God, the Seventh-day Sabbath, will be the seal to be found on all of God's people. On the other, the mark of the beast. First day, Sunday keeping. Each side will consider the other as treason to its government. In other words, if you obey God, the papacy will consider this as treason against its global world power. And if you obey the papacy, God will consider this as treason against him. In the manuscript, page 16, 1900, it says, this is a life and death question. And I fear that few of any of us realize how great this coming test will be. I was really personally startled as I read manuscript 1, page 1890, in which it says the faith of individual members of his church. That's bringing it right down to you and to me. It says individual members will be tested as though they were not another person in the world. This means in this last great battle, we are going to have to stand alone. Oh, we have God on our side, but we are going to be tested. You and I are going to participate in this last war. We are going to have to fight, for it is a battle. It is a war. And we are told in manuscript 83, 1863, there will be martyrs. Are we ready for this? You know, 
It's not a question today of getting ready. This is an hour when we are to be ready. For when it comes, as war does, and no one in this world knows more about it, the fear of an atomic bomb, suddenly it will come. Quickly, God says, the last great battle will take place. And remember this. Look back at Jesus. He was rejected by his own church. He was charged with treason by his church. And then he was rejected by pagan Rome and crucified for treason. Can you in your spirit today, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sense the battle that you and I, for we are going to have to stand alone as Christ did on Calvary, charged with treason, not only by our church, but also by papal Rome. Oh, I want to tell you, this is what God has been trying to impress us. Get ready. Be ready. And this is why we're going to have a coming evangelistic meeting. For if there is one doubt in your mind, according to any of the prophecies, which God has pointed out clearly that will take place in your lifetime, you will not stand in the last great battle. Yes, we want to win souls, but I want to see every one of you so positive in your knowledge of God that there will be no doubt, for doubt is the great instrument of the devil, and we need to be certain of what we believe. The last act of the drama we read about in Review and Herald, April 23, 1901, the substitution of the false for the true is the last act in this drama. When this substitution becomes universal, God will reveal himself. You know, I think we ministers have perhaps given sometimes a wrong impression. Yes, there will be joy when finally we look up and see our Lord. But do we realize how terrible will be this last great battle? I read in Review and Herald, January 11, 1817, John was a witness of the terrible scenes that will take place of Christ's coming. He saw armies mustering for battle, men's hearts failing them for fear. He saw the earth moved out of its place, mountains carried into the midst of the sea, waves roaring and troubled, mountains shaking with the swelling thereof. He saw the vials of God's wrath opened, and pestilences and famine and death coming upon the inhabitants of the earth. Do we realize what's coming? I want to tell you, if we did, we'd be on our knees more. We would be pleading today for the Almighty God to give us the training in the armor which he has bestowed upon us. For no soldier is worth his salt if he doesn't know how to use that which has given, been given to him. We need to know whereof we believe. But thank God we are told that when this final moment comes, providence will have a part to act in the Battle of Armageddon. 
I'm reading manuscript 175. When the earth is lightened with the glory of the angel of Revelation 18, good and evil, the religious elements, good and evil, will awake from slumber. Why is it today that the papacy is not coming upon us? Why is it that the church today is not on fire? Asleep. But there will be a rousing and the armies of the living God will take to the field. This is all brought about to us in Revelations, the 19th chapter, for it tells us there, it says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. It tells us that his, his clothes are dipped in blood, that his name is the word of God, and it says the armies which were in heaven followed him, and he shall smite the nations. I'm reading on down in this chapter. He comes as king of kings and lord of lords, and what do the armies of the world do? I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on his horse and against his armies. Look at the final results. Suddenly, in the midst of this battle, the dead in Christ, as numberless as the stars of heaven, will be resurrected to see heaven's commander in the clouds of glory. The living righteous with the resurrected saints will be changed in a moment and given immortal life. Together we shall meet our Lord in the sky and take into heaven. But what about the hosts of Satan who are then going to be totally defeated? The living followers of Satan will be consumed by the brightness of his coming. The wicked dead of some 6,000 years will remain in Satan's prison house. Only Satan and his angels will be chained to this old world. As I read in Revelations 20, for a thousand years, for I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and he laid hold on the old dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Thus to await the final showdown, of the Battle of Armageddon number seven, which will take place at the end of the millennium. And during the thousand years, the wicked are to be judged for their punishment. Revelation 20:12. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. Then, with the saints within the city, the new Jerusalem, with their living commander, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the new Jerusalem will descend from heaven to this earth. John told us, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, and Christ will proceed. He will touch that very spot and that he left some 2,000 years ago. It will then be three. 
and then will take place the second resurrection of all of the wicked. Once again, for the last time, the two opposing warring factions will stand face to face with Christ, the commander of heaven, and Lucifer, the commander of all evil. As he surrounds the city of God, as the saints with Christ are within. And then I read in Revelations 27, it says, They went up on the breadth of the earth, compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. But what about Satan? Ezekiel gives us the answer in 28, verse 18 and 19. I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All that know thee shall be astonished. Thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be any more. Praise God. Thus the great battle of Armageddon will come to a final conclusion. God will recreate this earth, making it more beautiful than when it was created. The earth will become the center of the universe. The devil will be gone forever. I think the last paragraph of Great Controversy beautifully states it. Page 678. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him all creation flows. Life and light and gladness throughout the realms. From the minutest atom to the greatest world all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. God has given us a picture. What part will you and I have in it? Will we be among those that will crown him Lord of Lords and King of Kings? crowning him with many crowns. Listen as our dear brother Pear sings this song for us. Crown him with many crowns The Lamb upon his throne
sung so beautifully with our brother this morning we praise thy name that thou didst love us and die for us oh God help us to love thee as much as you have loved us help us to be faithful help us to so study that we may be ready that we may someday look up and see thee coming in the clouds of glory with victory for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 